the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thinking about health care these days? Well, you're not alone. And it seems that getting real information about the state of our medical system is tough to come by. That's why you've come to the right place with Dr. Bill, your radio MD. He's got the answers because he's a doctor. I said he's a doctor and he wants to hear from you right now. 877-969-8600. This is AM860, The Answer. And now, it's time for Dr. Bill, your radio MD. Good morning, everybody. This is Dr. Bill, your radio MD, coming at you on 860 AM, The Answer. You can reach us either on the radio at 860 AM or at our website, am860theanswer.com, am860theanswer.com. And as well, my website is up and running, although I'm still tweaking it. You can get to the show through my website, drbillradiomd.com. That's drbillradiomd.com. And this is a great way to see what's going on in the world, at least in my world. You can see what I'm interested in. It's a wonderful uh wonderful way to communicate the web is just unbelievable it, it i'm always stunned when i see how much we can do online now and think about how we did this even 20 10 years ago much less 50 or 60 years ago fascinating i love it At any rate you can reach me on the web 9 to 10 a.m eastern standard time every sunday So put that down on your calendar. I mean, this is big stuff, and it's important because what I have to say affects not only the nation but the world. So I want people to listen. I'm not making any big money on this, so don't get the wrong idea. Well, I'm trying this little supplement and vitamin and mineral spot at the beginning of the show because a lot of people in the practice are asking me different things about this. One of my patients came in and he's diabetic and he said he'd stopped taking cinnamon and that's why his sugar and his hemoglobin A1C had gone up a little bit. So I took a look at the cinnamon supplements and it may modestly help control blood sugar levels. There's a little research on it, but not a lot. And the active compounds are believed to be proanthocyanidins, I can't even pronounce it. So the amount of this one chemical or this one, I guess it's an alkaloid, and the cinnamon seems to be the active ingredient. And a dose of one gram, which is about a half a teaspoon of cinnamon bark powder per day, may be sufficient to cause a blood sugar lowering effect in people with type 2 diabetes or pre-diabetes, but not type 1. And in some people, small doses may be sufficient. Again, these are a lot of maybes, and the research is not extensive at this point. Now, the concern with cinnamon is that some species of these trees, this is a tree bark, contain significant amounts of coumarin, a naturally occurring compound, which can cause liver damage. It's a potential 
cancer-causing agent as well. Uh, now, the consumer lab tested several of these that are on the market, and they found none of the products exceeded the tolerable levels of this cancer-causing, potentially cancer-causing agent or liver-damaging agent. And so there is also the possibility of heavy metals because you're dealing with a plant that's grown. And, of course, we've trashed the planet with heavy metals. And so this gets into the soil and gets leached into the trees. And there's different species as well. And there's a, a, a need to make sure that this is tested for what the one that you're buying and uh, make sure that it's a good one, that it doesn't have any filth. There's no dirt. There's no salmonella. There's no heavy metals. And you can go to Consumer Labs website and you can check out your own brand of cinnamon and see if it's okay, see if it passes all of their tests. And it comes from Southeast Asia and a few other areas. And so this is uh, apparently a big deal with the type 2 diabetics who are interested in the over-the-counter self-help natural substances and the minerals and vitamin supplements and so on and so forth. So check that out if you, if you can and see what's up. Now today I wanted to talk about Judge Roy Moore. And more generally about the sexual laws and mores and values in regards to adolescents and adults. Now, this is controversial. But interestingly, the age of consent has gone from 10 years old, 150 years ago, to 16 years old. So as we consider ourselves more enlightened as a culture and a society and that we are more willing to protect each other and protect our women as well as our men, the age of consent has gone up. And I think it's pretty obvious that we have to have some kind of standards in order to prevent unwanted pregnancies or pregnancies that are, uh, uh above the ability of the person to handle, particularly the mother, although the fathers are just as, just as bad in many ways. Because we know adolescent pregnancies are, are not good things. We've seen this societally, psychologically, uh, physically. In my own experience working in a psychiatric hospital for a number of years, told me or taught me that this was something that girls of 15 years of age could not handle. And this is, of course, generalization. It's not everybody 15, and it's not everybody 25 or, or 16 or whatever the age is. But in general, the 15-year-old girls just did not have the maturity emotionally, although they may have had it physically. They didn't have the, the synapses of their brains all connected yet and the emotionals uh, swings that come with the hormones of adolescence worked out to actually handle raising a child. So we have some good real biological reasons for this. And although the legislation tends to ref reflect general societal attitudes regarding male versus female ages of consent, we have to look at it in terms of, well, who's going to carry the baby and who's going to 
uh, uh, by nature, nurture and nourish this baby. I mean, it's important that we, we don't want kids being born into adolescent parents who will not be taken care of appropriately or may be abused or neglected. And so we have a number of laws and special rules and regulations for the different genders. And you may say, well, it's not fair to, you know, what about the equal protection clause of the constitution? And, you know, there's, there's no real protection of a guy 15 years of age. Well, the guy doesn't get pregnant. Although that statute is there, you're not going to see many people prosecuted who are over 25 having sex with a 15 year old boy. And you see it in the school systems because there's an implied, uh, fiduciary responsibility for the teacher that that like a doctor would have responsibility to the patient and the patient would see the doctor in more of a parental role then it would be wrong to take advantage of that and that's the same with teachers and and teenage boys so i think that that it does happen but it's just not as frequently called out and of course guys aren't going to talk about that i mean we're we're wired a little bit differently than the girls uh, but the Supreme Court says that on the theory that men lack the disincentive associated with sex, and that's pregnancy, because we don't get pregnant, at least not yet. And so that women have to engage in sexual activity, and the law may thus provide men with those disincentives, not the same as they would with women, that we would not be as aggressive with women having sex with men younger than them or boys or teenagers, but we would with older men and younger women because it's a situation where you are in a position of power and you can take advantage of that power. So the age of consent is protective not only of the individuals but also of society at large because who takes care of these kids? Well, a lot of them will end up on Medicaid, uh, the parents will be on welfare, uh, there'll be legal battles because men will want to bolt and not take on the responsibility. And, of course, they don't feel the same emotional ties in general as the women do. That, that wasn't true with me. I mean, I stuck with both of my kids to the point where it caused a great deal of grief to the mothers. But fortunately, uh, whether they liked it or not, the kids have turned out well and they're doing okay. And I wasn't so sure that would happen if I left it in their hands. So there are those of us who are emotionally tied as women are to their children. And that's a good thing as long as it is expressed in terms of positivism and love. And that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is that the impulsivity of adolescents and young males, young adult males, makes it such that, and the brain doesn't form in, in guys all the way until we're 25, maybe 30 years of age is when the synapses finally close. And, and you say, you never heard that? Well, you know what? There's a lot of insurance companies that will not give liability insurance or they'll rate uh, liability insurance up for men under 25, especially if they're drafted because we're more impulsive. We're more driven by our hormones to be aggressive. 
and we're in more accidents and we do more stupid things in general. Although I think we're pretty bright as a, as a gender, but apparently the law doesn't think so. <laughs> so what is the adolescent's capacity to parent a child? And we see more and more grandmothers raising their children's children. I see that in my practice. And I've seen numbers of grandparents coming in with grandkids because their children had kids early and they're uh, incapable of taking care of them or they got hooked on drugs or they got involved with uh, the wrong crowd or they showed behavior that was not well socialized and the kids were not not uh, thriving. They weren't doing well. That Something had to be done. And so the emotional trauma that is, I'm not, I'm not going to say inflicted, but that is imparted with adolescent pregnancies uh, are, are greater because we're more, more vulnerable when we're young. And again, I saw this in psychiatric hospitals. Now, the right to say no has become more legally defensible and socially acceptable over the past century. And women even have the right to say no within marriage. And there are some states where uh, you can be accused of raping your wife. And that is the way it is. That's the lay of the land. So we, as guys, we need to have respect for women and for their decisions. And we need to be able to ferret out when no means no. And when no means you need to try a little bit harder. And that's not always easy. But I, I think the main impetus of this for me has been that if someone says no, and because of my position and because of, of what I have to lose, I just say, okay, no problem. And I'll get up and go. And if the wife says she doesn't want to have sex, that's her body and that's her decision. And, and, you know, I can plead a little bit. So, no, you know, begging doesn't, doesn't, uh, that doesn't arise to a, a crime. But <laughs> other than that, I'm not going to make her have sex with me. I don't think that, that, that's what in an enlightened individual or, or an enlightened society would or should do. And we are imparting our morals and values to the rest of the world. And the rest of the world is changing because of, of Western society's morals and values. And this has in part been pushed by the women, which is a good thing. You know, let them stand up for themselves. So we're part of a world where our morals and values are still not the case. And we even have situations where uh, adult males will predate on adolescent females. But, you know, we were talking about Roy Moore at the lunch table. I mean, I, I got to tell you, I am so sick of hearing about all these big name guys who are being accused of being sexually inappropriate, inappropriate or molesting or fondling or groping or uh, making women uncomfortable. Oh, please give me a break. I, I mean, I, I just, uh, I don't know. It just seems incredible, incredulous to me that we would be spending so much time on this, but you know, the, the newspapers and the television and the radio people, they're making big money off of this because it, it gets viewers. Sex is controversial. It's fascinating. It's repulsive. It's, it's secretive. It's, uh, confidential. It's all kinds of different emotional words that come into play. And so we're talking about this at the lunch table 
And more than one of the guys commented that if the laws were strictly enforced in this area, then 25% of the males would probably be guilty of misdemeanors or felonies. And one of the Hindu doctors, he's a good guy, Hamant, he said, are you kidding? 50%. And I mean, you're talking about a guy from a culture that was fairly uh, puritanical in many ways. The Hindu culture, when he grew up, was certainly not what it is in this century and in this decade. So what are good definitions of consent and what should the age limit be? Well, most of the states have adopted 16 years of age. And of course, everybody matures at different rates and different times in their lives. And and certainly society almost universally agrees that women mature earlier than men. So and physiologically, we can see that women are capable of having children and reach puberty usually a year or two before men. And so we think that their brains are a little bit more uh, finished by the time they reach 21. And certainly there's capacity to say no at age 16. But, you know, you, you can't convert this into a 32-year-old and a 16-year-old. What you can do is you can say if somebody's under 24 years of age in Florida and the consenting person is 16 or up, then that's okay. And I ran into this when my son was 18 dating a 16-year-old. And people said, well, you know, he's of age now. He's he's literally of age and he's dating a teenager. So I went and ran and looked at the statutes and uh, he was safe. There was no problem there because he was under 24 or under 25, 24 years being the peak. But then in general, we don't want to shoulder the responsibility for uh, out of uh, wedlock or adolescent pregnancies and births. That, that's not what we want to do as a society. And we go back to the belief that men must be held responsible in some manner for their sexual behavior. Of course. I mean, if we make a baby, we have a responsibility. And this should become a problem with the sexual revolution of the 60s and 70s when women found themselves with children, but the men who had fathered the kids refused to participate. I shouldn't say should, it did become a problem. Interestingly, though, the number of adolescent pregnancies is dropping. It's been dropping for 30 or 40 years. It's dropping dramatically. In the past decade, it's dropped in half. Maybe those new generation people, those millennials are a little bit smarter than we think. So at any rate, we had all of this back in the 60s and 70s, and then the states stepped in and said, well, the men have to pay child support, and there were even harsh laws imposed, harsh from the guy's perspective, that they couldn't get their driver's license, and their wages would be done, and all kinds of things would happen if they didn't pay for the baby, pay their fair share. Then it went the other way where the women were taking advantage of the men in terms of lying in court to get more money. And so it's gone back now to a more even keel. And it takes time for these things to work out in, in the legal system where we participate financially depending upon what percentage of the gross of the two incomes we're responsible, we're bringing in and we're responsible for. So if I make 60% of the income and the woman makes 40%, then my responsibility for child support is 60% of whatever the court says is reasonable child support. 
And we also have to consider, as I said earlier, the idea of free will, because if you're older, you're assumed to have more uh, control and power over younger people and be able to influence and sway and, and direct them more the way you want. And so there's the idea that we do have responsibility when we engage in a sexual relationship with someone, regardless of the age difference. But of course, the greater the age difference, the more responsibility when you're dealing with adolescents and adults that the adult has in this. So we have to have a mechanism whereby we can impose responsibilities and legal punishments on people who do not display that uh, sense of responsibility and that respect for their position and for the position of the other person. And so the concept of free will, which is part of our society and our Western way of life, is a big part of this. I mean, we have to make the decision whether or not we want to, regardless of how impulsive we are, regardless of how much the testosterone is flowing, that we have free will and we can say, you know, I'm not going to do this or I'm backing down or, uh, you know, honey, you don't have to do this with me. And in the case of Judge Roy Moore, I still don't see that he actually raped anybody or I don't hear anybody saying underage that he molested them. I hear people saying he tried. On the other hand, we have Bill Clinton, who has been accused of rape. And you got to wonder about a president with all the power, the most powerful man in the world. And when he was a governor, he was an extremely powerful man. Why on earth would he need to do this? I mean, he could have had any number of women. Why do you force yourself upon somebody if you have the ability to get whatever you want without force, with just, just your name, your, your money, your position of power. And, and believe me, as a physician, we get hit up on a lot. There's a lot of women that target us. And I'm sure for the female doctors, there's a lot of men that are targeting them because we're caregivers. We make good money. We provide security and we're seen as people of power. We have power over nurses at the hospital to tell them what to do. We're involved in committees where we can make rules for the hospitals and we can make rules and regulations for the society at large. And we do. And we decide things that some people don't agree with, but that's, that's the way it is. We make the decisions and we live with the consequences and changes as we go. We also have to think about how we approach sex, the males and the females for men especially when we're young, it's certainly an impulse. It's a drive. The drive to procreate is built into us. Mother nature put that there for a good reason. So we propagate the species and keep, keep the species going. And we also have that desire to make most of us to make a better society, a better environment, a better world where our kids will have a better chance of making it and making their own kids. And with women, it's a little bit different. Yes, they want to see the species propagated and they want to make sure that there's a good environment. But at least biologically, there's that feeling that the environment has to be taken or the responsibility for the environment has to be taken over more by the men because the women are busy nursing and raising the kids. So it's our job to go out and make sure that there's food on the table 
of course, this isn't, you know, this, this isn't absolute. This is the, the bell-shaped curves are meshing more and more. But you get the idea that it's our responsibility as guys to make sure that the women have what they need to raise the babies. And, of course, we want to participate more and more fully. And we see the kids do a lot better when the dads are fully involved in the family. And so there's a little bit different view. And women, of course, have sexual drives just like men. But in general, they're more discriminating. And it's not just human species. I mean, you can look at almost any mammalian species. And the women, the females of the species, are more discriminating. They're not going to mate with just anybody. They're going to be picky and choosy. That's that's the way it should be. I mean, we, we don't want to become involved with just any, any person that comes through the door. We want to make sure that it's somebody that we can trust, rely upon, uh, who's reasonably intelligent. It's at our level of functioning, uh, will provide. And I, I love it when some of the, some of my Jewish friends say, I'm a good provider. You know, I'm not a good athlete, but I'm a good provider. And, and I mean, that's true. And a lot of women will look at that and say, you know what? The guy has a good brain. He's making good money. Physically, he's intact. He'd make a good mate. Let's go for it. And I think that women view honesty and betrayal certainly differently than men. And so we see this come out when one woman says, well, yeah, he was sexually inappropriate with me. Another woman will say, you know what? He betrayed me too. And I understand that, you know, that honesty for women is a little bit different than honesty for men. It's about emotional betrayal. It's about emotional dishonesty. It's about taking advantage of emotions. And men feel that if a contract is made, it, it shouldn't be broken. If you break it, then you're, you're not a good guy. You don't keep your word. You don't, you're, you know, your contract's no good. Women, however, feel that the honesty and emotional betrayer, emotional betrayal are interlinked. And I get that. Relationships and child rearing demand fidelity to the cause. The cause is raising the kid. And of course, the kid and the mother are much more tied together physically. I mean, they carry the little critters around for nine months. And so the mother and the child are often not separable. And you can see this not only in the way families interact, but in divorces, you see that the women, and I'm sure the men do this too, but in my experience, the women primarily will use the kids as a weapon against the man because they consider them part of themselves. But the women, and, and we should pay attention to this, this is important, that sexual fidelity, physical and financial fidelity for women, they're interlinked, they're intertwined for the most part. Does that mean that women don't have extramarital affairs or Women don't have more than one sexual partner. No, that's not what it means. It means that they have a lot less than you and I do as guys. And sometimes we get our biological imperatives confused with our relationship imperatives. You know, our biological imperative is to go out and make babies. But our relationship imperatives are to be comforting, to be strong, uh, to be protective, to be supportive, all those things that go into making a good relationship. 
And, you know, we're impulsive when we're young. It's true. When we're young, our brains aren't formed. Uh, we have a lot more testosterone flowing around, or at least the levels are rising. We haven't matured. And by that, I mean biologically. and doesn't mean all guys. Some guys are very responsible at 16 and 18 years of age, and they're very focused, and they end up doing very well. You know, they're the Bill Gates of the world. But we do have some cerebral override, at least most of us do. Obviously, there are people who are sociopaths or have mental illnesses or are so impulse-ridden that they don't have that, but most of us guys do. And we can understand that. We can understand that we have a responsibility to check what we do and to not impose upon women if they don't want us and to be cautious about when we do because we have the ability to get people pregnant. So the question becomes, if somebody doesn't have this or they don't display this cerebral override of their biological imperatives, if they don't seem to be able to discipline themselves, are they trust are they trustworthy in positions of power? And then we have to start separating it out. And then we say, well, wait a minute, women and sex are much more emotionally intertwined than men and sex. A lot of men can have sex and not have much emotion behind it. You know, it's just a function. So can someone be in a position of power and act responsibly for the greater good, the society or their patients or uh, their legal clients if they've been sexually inappropriate in the past? Well, that's the question we have to ask ourselves about somebody like Roy Moore. Again, I haven't seen him accused of anything that's criminal, not yet. I mean, there's innuendos, but nobody's come forward like they did with Bill Clinton and say, the guy raped me. <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't, I don't hear that. I don't see that. Uh, maybe it happened, but that's partly the lay of the land here. You know, we don't know what happened 40 years ago for sure. And of course there's a lot of, of, I don't want to say made up, but there, women and sex and reality are very intertwined. And, and I think that, and I see this in women that they can imagine things and believe that they're real, especially when it comes to sex even if it didn't happen, and I've seen this in my own family, I've seen this in women I've been married to. By the way, I was certainly no poster child for appropriate behavior. However, that's been decades ago, and I seem to be functioning reasonably well in a high responsibility, high visibility, and high functioning role. So we got to stop and think about what we're voting for and who we're voting for and why we're voting for that person. And when I come back, I'll tell you the answer to those three questions. This is Dr. Bill. I'm your Radio MD. With SRN News, I'm Michael Harrington in Washington. The Palestinians on the Trump administration in a high-stakes face-off. The Palestinian Authority challenging the Trump administration's plan 
to close its Washington mission if it doesn't begin engaging in serious peace talks with Israel. Palestinian officials say they'll cut off all communications with the U.S. if the mission is closed. Of course, that could cost millions of dollars in U.S. aid. Zimbabwe's ruling party central committee has fired the president, Robert Mugabe, says Vice President Emerson Nagagwa will become its nominee to take over the country as president. They say if Mugabe doesn't get out of office by noon on Monday, they will impeach him. He's currently under house arrest. Are you traveling for Thanksgiving week? You'll be amongst many, many people. Experts say we could set a record this week with the amount of travel, people going over the river and through the woods for the big day. This is SRN News. Dr. Bill for Bay Area Medical, located at 6399 38th Avenue North in St. Pete, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. Full-service clinic with x-ray, heart imaging, ultrasound, stress testing, and minor surgery. We provide quality health care in a warm and friendly atmosphere. We are multilingual, well-trained, and certified. Most American insurance and new patients accepted. Bay Area Medical, home of can care, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. Dr. Bill for West Coast Radiology. Our good friends at West Coast Radiology offer convenient and comprehensive x-ray diagnostics, including open MRI, CT scan, CT PET, mammography, and ultrasound. With state-of-the-art equipment and four convenient locations, you're assured of friendly, comprehensive care. Most insurance is accepted and competitive self-pay rates, plus Saturday appointments. Call West Coast Radiology at 727-771-2795. That's 727-771-2795. This is a special notice to all U.S. taxpayers. If you owe the IRS or state back taxes and cannot afford to pay them back, there's good news. Due to the financial hardship many are facing in today's economy, the IRS has made it easier to settle delinquent tax problems through a federal program called the Fresh Start Initiative. Qualifying for this program will resolve your tax problem, end all collections, and possibly reduce your back taxes by up to 90%. If you are facing wage garnishments, liens, bank levies, audits, or payroll taxes, it's not too late. Your circumstances may qualify you for this special program, protecting your savings and your assets. If you owe the IRS or state back taxes and cannot afford to pay them back, there's no need to worry anymore. Call the hotline at Victory Tax Solutions to see if you qualify and potentially save thousands. For this free information, call 800-585-9580. 800-585-9580. That's 800-585-9580. Thank you for making my dream a reality and publishing my very first book. Karen Notner is author of Is Jesus Your Pearl? You encouraged me, you laughed with me, and you held my hand through the entire process. Karen's publisher is Zulon Press. Do you dream about publishing? Make the dream real with America's fastest-growing Christian book publisher. Your free publishing guide is waiting at ChristianPublishing.com. Thank you so much to all the wonderful professionals at Zulon Press. Visit Zulon Press at ChristianPublishing.com. Today we'll have clouds and sun with a shower in spots during the midday. The high will be 79. Tonight, partly cloudy and cooler, the low 51. Tomorrow, partly sunny and pleasant, the high 76. Tuesday, variable cloudiness with a couple of showers and a thunderstorm, the high 77. Wednesday, cloudy with a couple of showers, the high 77 again. That's your AccuWeather forecast. I'm Dan Pittman for AM860, The Answer.
I'm back. This is Dr. Bill talking about sexual misbehavior and uh, responsibility and uh, all kinds of situations that arise when we delve into this area. We've heard a lot of this, uh, ac- a lot of these accusations recently against people in power positions, whether it's ex-president Clinton or Judge Roy Moore or Senator Franken. And, you know, I'm really kind of sick of the whole thing, it, it, but it's certainly doing a, a great amount of good for the radio and television stations and the newspapers. Oh, my gosh, everybody's just glued to the tube. But I think a lot of people are getting sick of it. Before the break, I said or I asked the question, can someone who has been less than responsible with their sexual behavior in their youth uh, mature into and be capable of handling positions of responsibility? Can we trust them? You know, can somebody be uh, functioning reasonably well in a high position uh, and with a lot of responsibility and be trusted if they were not as appropriate as society would have liked to seen them be in their youth? And you got to remember now that this is not a, a recent phenomena. Alabama has had a consent law on the books that was from age 16 forward since the 1920s. So th- this has been there a while. And by the way, the uh, adolescent birth rates climbed all through the 20th century. And then in the latter quarter of the 20th century started to fall. And now the teenage birth rates are dropping precipitously. It's It's gone from maybe 75 births per thousand to 45 births per thousand for uh, uh, Hispanic and uh, a little less for non-Hispanic blacks and blacks. And then the average uh, whites and Orientals are a little bit lower, but even the adolescent pregnancies in whites and, and Orientals has dropped almost by half. So overall, things are moving downward And you can say, well, this is because of the laws that have been passed. I don't think so. The laws have been there since 1920 in Alabama. In in 2015, a total of 229,000, 230,000 babies were born to women aged 15 to 19. And this was half of what it was 10 years before. So. The age of consent and the interaction between older males and younger females doesn't seem to be a factor here. What seems to be a factor is the educational level, the introduction of birth control, uh, the sense of responsibility that we as a society are imparting into our adolescence. And, you know, it's it's funny to me that the federal laws that are, they don't have a lot to say about this, but the age of consent for pornography under the federal codes is 18 years of age. So if one considers that 18 years of age is the federal benchmark for age of consent for pornography, why shouldn't it be for sexual activity as well? Of course, we're a federation of states and the states are, they're how shall I say it there? They are semi-independent in making certain laws, but most of the states hang together when it comes to uh, big deals like this. 
and the Alabama laws are pretty clear cut. The uh, a person is deemed incapable of consent if he or she is less than 16 years old, and a person commits the crime of sexual abuse in the second degree if he, being 19 years or older, subjects another person to sexual contact who is less than 16 years old, but more than 12 years old. Under 12, under puberty, that's called uh, that's called pedophilia or child abuse, child neglect. And so the crime of rape in the second degree is a 16-year-old is engaged with intercourse of someone who is older than them. In Florida, it's older than 24. And then Alabama, that person is two years older than the member of the opposite sex. And so if you have someone who's 16 having sex with someone who's 18, and the idea being that you want to keep the sexual intercourse and activity between quote, quote, 18 year old adult male and 16 year old adolescent female, keep it under control, then that's a crime. Well, goodness gracious me. I mean, that'd be a third of all guys. We'd be, we'd be, we'd be guilty of rape in the second degree, even if the 16 year old is consenting. So the laws are pretty tough and a person commits a crime of sodomy in the same way. And so if you look at the statutes in most of the states, they're pretty, pretty severe. And if they were strictly enforced, uh, I'm, I'm, I don't know where society would put all of these criminal 18-year-olds who are trying to have sex with or having sex with a 16-year-old. Now, that's not a defense of a 32-year-old man trying his luck with a 16-year-old. But remember that rape, is when you have intercourse and it's when you penetrate the woman it that's that's when you rape somebody and so we haven't heard any of this from roy moore although we've heard it about bill clinton and uh we've seen sexually inappropriate behavior in pictures of al franken and i'm i'm, I'm not saying left or right conservative or liberal, Republican or Democrat. I'm just, I'm just throwing all this into the mix to say that these are highly responsible people who seem to make, well, I shouldn't say reasonable. <laughs> that would be, uh, that would be wrong to say reasonable decisions, but they find themselves in positions of power and somebody's got to ultimately shoulder the responsibility for signing the bills that the Congress passes and enforcing the laws that the Congress uh, and the courts say are, are law. And so these are things that we have to consider when we're, when we're looking at these guys and say, well, are they capable? Do they deserve to be in positions of power? Can they handle this? And are they worthy of our vote? Well, at an emotional level, I got to tell you that my own preferences are for a Republican and that after Jimmy Carter, I vowed I would never vote Democratic again. I mean, there have to be a, a cold day in hell before I'll vote Democratic again. And you can say, well, you're being overly reactive, Doc. You know? I look at this, and I said this in 78, 79, when he walked, when Carter walked away from the Shah of Iran. I said, this man's insane. We'll be at war in the Middle East 
in a decade. Well, I was off by a couple of years, 1990, 91. I think we went to war for uh, the Gulf War One, and this has been a disaster for our country. This has been a real disaster for our country. We are now engaged in a long-term conflict. It's going to be our 100-year war, and we are trying desperately, and we're succeeding as well, as I've mentioned in other shows, at changing the cultures of the Middle East. But this is going to be a long, hard fight. It's going to be just like the 100 years war between England and France, where there were intermittent battles over 100 years, but there was no large-scale massacre of the population. But nevertheless, it creates a great deal of anxiety, and it costs money and time, and it costs the lives of our young people. And uh, it just, and all of this because Carter disagreed with who we were as a people. He thought that the Shah was a bad guy because he was an absolute dictator, and Carter was uh, well molded in the Woodrow Wilson school of thought. And the idea that previous regimes had backed the Shah because he showed stability and anti-communist attitudes uh, that Carter didn't like and didn't think were appropriate. And so he did his best to dismantle our foreign policy in that area. And you know what? He did a lot of damage. And you can say, well, Doc, the party's changed. No, it hadn't. No, it hasn't. There's still, I hear this from my sister, I hear this from the congressional leaders, I hear it from Nancy Pelosi, I hear it from the Clintons. You know, we need to be a socialist nation, we need to be a pacifist nation. Obama, he was the idealism of of pacifism, socialism, and internationalism. And I'm not saying anything about him as a human being, I don't know the guy. And it looked like he kept his nose pretty clean in office, so I'm not sure that uh, that... I can indict him. I mean, I can certainly disagree with a lot of his policy, but I'm not interested in assassinating characters. We've got a call from Ian Ian in Clearwater. What's up, bud? How you doing? I'm doing fine. Hey, I just want to say bravo to the point that you just made about the the, the betrayal of the Shah of Iran. You know, I, I listen to a lot of talk radio. I'm a talk radio junkie, and I never hear any of these people point this out. This is where this mess began, and apparently Crazy Carter let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Now, the Shah of Iran, we know he was an authoritarian, given that culture and the history, and I certainly wouldn't want to live under that the, 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 the Pavlovi regime, but they let the good, which was the Shah, because they, they thought the perfect was going to come with the Khomeini clan, and this is this. They just deluded themselves, and and that says a lot about the people that were in power then and today. That this was the genesis, in my mind, of this whole mess that we've been in, basically since 1979. And kudos for you to you for pointing that out, because Shaw was a modernizer. He was a relatively liberal autocrat. They had a semblance of democracy, the beginnings of it. And Carter and company killed it in the cradle. And thanks for taking my call. 
you're welcome. And i got to add, I've talked with a number of people from Iran, and I've talked about those people on the show as well. And, you know, the Shah was implementing uh, uh, mandatory education, which a lot of the uh, country folk who were strict Muslims didn't like because it brought in morals and values that they didn't agree with. And uh, well, I'd say that that's wrong, that they did not want to maintain their their morality, their code of ethics and morals. But certainly education is a necessary step for both boys and girls, men and women, in making a better world. I mean, let's go back to the basic premise, which is that we are here to propagate the species and to make a better environment so that our offspring will survive and make more offspring. Uh, and that we're doing that from what I can see. Yeah, there are some problems. We've got some ecological problems. We've got some social problems. But overall, things are really getting better. So I think we're doing what we should do. But back to the question of do we judge people? I mean, Carter was, by all accounts, a very moral man, never had an affair that we know of. And I talked with some of the folks in Rome, Georgia, when I was there who knew him, and they didn't like him. And they said he was uh, uh, a vicious uh, human being who would ruin anybody to get where he wanted to go. I guess that's politics. I don't know. So, but, but I never heard anybody say that he was sexually inappropriate. And yet, I think that he's comparable to Buchanan in the 19th century. I mean, basically, he just walked away from the responsibilities that we had in the Middle East. And the, the point is this, not that he is a good or bad man. I've already made that point. The point is, is that he was morally, at least cash register wise, he was morally honest, but his ability to rule his ideas of which direction the country should go and how it would affect the world were just completely 180 degrees away from everything that I believe in. And I think that a lot of people, even if they or Democrats would agree with uh, that. That's that's a uh, that's my feelings about that. And so I say again: Are people who are sexually inappropriate or have done illegal or immoral things that uh, that were youthful indiscretions? Are they capable of being in positions of responsibility? You know, Clinton didn't stop doing what he was doing. I mean, he was doing this in the White House. Uh, we haven't heard of Judge Roy Moore being accused of anything from his late 20s, early 30s on. And the guy's, what, 65 or 70 years old? He's my age. So uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I think we have to put this into perspective and we have to look at this in terms of what do we want? So Judge Roy Moore may not be the best human being on the earth. His opponent says he never heard anything about this, and they obviously investigated him extensively. And then we've got Allred who is, how shall I say it, she is much an opportunist in terms of her clients that she selects, and, and you know, more power to her. She's in it for the cash and for the, uh, for the notoriety, and so, so there you go. And uh, listen, she wouldn't be the first female lawyer to encourage their clients to lie. I mean, I had a divorce lawyer years ago who said, well, if you know she's lying, then you need to make up lies and say something about her. And I left that attorney. It was a female attorney. I did go to another female attorney who was very ethical and very honest and very straightforward. She was kind of uh, 
unemotional about the whole thing. She'd been in the business a long time and you know, the things I would ask her, she'd answer just as flat and pan faced as could be, but as honestly as she could. So, uh, we see people coming forward who may have a secondary gain. Certainly if you have an attorney and you're thinking about a civil suit, you got a secondary gain, you're looking for cash. And I'm not sure that that is the moral high ground that I would take if I were accusing someone of immorality and impropriety. I, I think that the money would be unimportant to me, that I would be going after them in the court of public opinion because I think they're a bad guy. But uh, we don't see that. I mean, and we see people lying already. We see, and I don't want to say that the women are lying because, again, women will mesh reality and emotions and uh, projections all together into something that they consider reality. I understand that. I get it. I get that if I look at my wife wrong, that I'm a bad human being. Or if I say something in a moment of anger that, uh, that I'm being abusive. Or if I say, you know, we haven't had sex in a long time. Let's go to bed. And she feels like she's being pressured. Uh, and so, I, I mean, I, I, I realize that, that we're different, you know, men and women are just different. We're different. We're put together emotionally different and we have to respect the women. We have to respect their rights and their bodies and uh, they have to respect ours too. You know, it's a two way street. So when you ask me to be appropriate around you, then I ask you to reciprocate and that's the way it should be. So what about Roy Moore? Well, I mean, I'd, again, I'd vote for him. Uh, I'd vote for a dead pedophilic Republican over a Democrat. But, you know, Jimmy Carter is the one that made me feel this way. I mean, I was kind of morphing away from my liberal upbringing in the 70s. And as I accrued more and more responsibility and had more and more people calling upon me to perform, well, anything from a small medical problems to life-saving situations to emotional problems and help fix those, uh, the more I realized that what Carter was saying and what Carter did were the antithesis of what I believed my role in society was and what I believed our role as a nation is. And we do have a responsibility. And people say, are we the policemen of the world? You know what? You travel around the world. And people look to us to be the policemen. I mean, I've had German families say, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Handelman and your country for being willing to step in and do things without any real consideration of what you're going to get out of it other than hopefully some trade agreements. Uh, but, uh, you know, we, we do have some responsibilities. So let's put more in office. Well, let's forget about all this sexual shenanigans and nonsense. I'm sick of hearing about it. I mean, we've had presidents, we've had senators, we've had representatives, we've had all kinds of people in positions of power as doctors and lawyers who've taken advantage of their position, their power, their status, and have betrayed their fiduciary trust. So I'm not sure that this is anything new, and it doesn't seem to be ongoing. So let's put it behind us and get on with the business of changing our country and undoing some of the insanity that's been done over the past uh, 30 or 40 years by the left. And that's not to say the left are bad people. 
There's bad people on the right. There's bad people on the left. There's scoundrels here and there and everywhere. There's a few doctors that get themselves into trouble and they lose their license over sexually inappropriate behavior with their patients because, again, it's a betrayal of, of the fiduciary trust. And we can see why that is a big deal. So that's all I have to say on this topic, folks. And I'm glad you were with me. Love you guys. And I'll see you next week. This is Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.